The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. Button favors us. Click. And we're live. It is Monday, April 12th, 2021, 6.03 p.m., which is an objectionable time, although I will point out our very first episode, we went live at 6, not 5, and then we moved it back to 5. Um, and so... I saw uh, you posted it. Yeah, uh, I posted our, our very first episode. So... Um, this is a, a return to the original understanding of the time associated with In Lieu of Fun. It is um, uh, the founders meant for it to play at six, not at five. Uh, we left the founders in the dust by the second episode. But um, uh, that is a metaphor for constitutional law right there. Our guest today is going to be the great Katie Benner, who is going to explain the Matt Gate stuff as well as the Pikachu glasses. Uh, we're going to demand answers. We're not going to spare her the tough questions, including where did you get those Pikachu glasses? And also, why are you doing this to us? Um, so um, that will be as soon as... Uh, Katie gets here. She has just returned from taking her dog for a walk and is entering her apartment. She will be here momentarily. Until then, I have a very important announcement to make. The Apple Podcasts feed of the In Lieu of Fun podcast is now live. If you have not already subscribed to it, you're a bad person. Um, I haven't... Ben, is, I haven't subscribed to it. <laughs> get on it, Kate. It is consider it a character deficiency. It's been live for almost an hour now, and you are the problem. You're the reason it is not rocketing to number one in Apple Podcasts. You're the reason it is not. Um, no, none of that's true. Um, that said, um, it is. Uh, a good thing. It'll enable everybody never to miss an episode of, of In Lieu of Fun. And it'll also enable the people who joined in the middle of things, in media res, as they say, to uh, go back and hear all those cool episodes at the, at the beginning of time, like the first time we had Ada Palmer on the show, which we talked about a few Weeks ago, the last time Ada was on the show, we had her uh, on the show early on. It'll, we will find out, and I don't even know the answer to this. We will find out when did the Boris Johnson news start? When did that? Well, when did he go into the hospital? I don't know. I don't when, did, when did I, it start? That shockingly, I don't have that date seared in my memory. Although maybe I should. <laughs> when was the first appearance of murder hornets on the show? When was the first time Kate saved an animal and brought it on the show? Um, 
we're going to learn all these things as we do the audio adventure of, of season one. Um, uh, so that's all going to happen. And uh, in the meantime, we don't have fun anymore. But we do have Katie Benner. We do have Katie Benner, who is uh, on her way into, uh, she's been invited in and she's accepted. And <gasps> there she is. And welcome back, Katie Benner. Thank you for having me. I just came in from walking the dog, so I look crazy. Katie, are you, wearing, crazy. are you wearing earrings like a normal human? I'm wearing a necklace, which is weird. See, we, I we both wear our largest pieces of oh, jewelry. Yeah, I'm wearing a, a dog shirt thing. like a normal human. No, but um, no one wears dog shirts except you. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, so, uh, Katie Benner, before we get into the why are you doing this to us with the Matt Gates <laughs> yeah, literally. part like. of the conversation, <laughs> there have been repeated Thoughts inquiries. Thoughts I never needed to have in my brain. Yeah, there have been repeated inquiries from the audience about the Pikachu glasses. Oh, um, oh, oh, and yeah. so I think we just need the story of the Pikachu glasses. So the New York Times DC Bureau, and since this is a knitting friendly zone, I'm going to work on my shirt because I'm making oh, a, do it. a summer t-shirt. Katie, um, did you see the yarn stash that I got? No, please show me. You, in okay. fact, you should be doing kind of a home shopping network style. Um, presentation yeah. of the yarn while I talk about the Pikachu and then yeah. we'll pair talk the audio it. with the video. I'll go get it. The New York Times DC Bureau has a beautiful Halloween party every year that people bring their kids to and we all keep candy at our desks and it's an excuse for all the adults to eat just gross amounts of candy and get dressed up. But only a few people take the costume part seriously. Most sane people don't. But Julian Barnes, me, <laughs> and a couple of selected other total lunatics, we get dressed up. Julian dressed in a full chicken costume. The guy's like 6'3", so it was pretty startling, actually. That's excellent. Yeah. It was really quite terrifying. And then I was Pikachu, because I um, had those great glasses. And I have, like everybody has, I have a full bright yellow boiler suit in my closet. And so I just felt like that was kind of the, and it was easy to fashion a Pikachu tail. And, and, and do, do you, um, because it's your Twitter photo, do people expect you to show up in business arrangements with the Pikachu glasses? <laughs> like, do, you, mean, do you get asked about it like all the time? I, people have asked questions. I think it would be great if I showed up wearing the Pikachu glasses. Um, though I'm trying to think about the correct context because like Bill Barr, I think actually you know what Bill Barr, he had a pretty good sense of humor and I think he would have been okay with it. Like I think this is a man who provided us with ginormous bottles of Costco brand Chardonnay at events. Cause like, which I totally appreciated cause I also love bargains. You know, he was like bourbon and then like two liter bottles of Costco brand Chardonnay. Those were his gatherings. It's a good, it's a good combination. It's a great with, combination. With, with the $30,000 party at the Trump hotel. It's a great comp. I'm sure that's what he served there too, frankly. <laughs> so I think if I'd walked into one of those things with like the Pikachu glasses, he would have been totally into it. And not that I'm, I'm I don't sure. know when life got weird, but I'm so here for it. I like <laughs> Merrick Garland, on the other hand, I don't, I just don't, I don't, I don't know if it's a Merrick Garland appropriate. Oh, what I think Merrick Garland would be fine with that. I, I think him playing it so straight. I'm not sure his staff would, but um, I don't think I'd be let near him. 
Maybe not. Whereas I think, I think, I think bar staff was just so frazzled, like trying to fight off, like, you know, you know, all sorts of insane stuff. Um, they would have just been like, I don't know. She seems fine. <laughs> she's not, she's not the craziest person to call our office today. So I, I promised you all that I would tell the story of, uh, uh, witnessing Strom Thurmond confront, uh, um, Eric Holder in the in at Janet Reno's Christmas party in the Justice Department in 1994. And with Katie here as somebody who has been to the Attorney General's Christmas party, uh, I, I, I think it is an appropriate story. So this was the year that um, uh, the Republicans took Congress for the first time in uh, a very long time, you know, since both houses, since the fifties, I guess. And, uh, you know, the Republican members of the Judiciary Committee led by then Orrin Hatch, um, uh, who was gonna be the Judiciary Committee chairman, kind of came in in this triumphant mode. And the Attorney General's Christmas party is held in this hall outside the Attorney General's office, or at least it used to be, that's a quite splendid uh, uh, place. And there was lots of, you know, shrimp cocktails and whatever's laid out. And, you know, Strom Thurmond, who was then in his early nineties, um, he was still capable if you wound him up and, you know, pressed go and gave him a very specific instruction his staff could still get him to do things and he could he was still ambulatory and so his instruction this day was to go up to every single person in the room shake their hands like this you know aggressively and say merry christmas and so he was going from person to person going merry christmas merry christmas and How each do one, people get reelected each one sounded like an attack you know like it was um and he gets to Eric Holder, who is, first of all, rather tall. Strom Thurmond was then, I don't know, four foot eight or something. He, was, you know, he, he, had, he had shrunk quite a bit. And uh, secondly, Eric Holder was then the U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia. It was before he had become, you know, deputy attorney general or attorney general. And Holder goes up to him, shakes his hand and goes, Merry Christmas and then looks up and he recognizes him, I assume, which he hadn't done for anybody else. I assume he rec had recognized him from his confirmation hearing or something. And he looks at him and he says, well, your people. Now, there were about a hundred ways to interpret that question, probably seven, 75 of them offensive. Um, and, Eric Holder being gentlemanly and um, uh, a very politically savvy guy chooses one that is super benign, which is that your people in the sentence refers to the assistant United States attorneys. So he says, well, Senator, he says this in his sort of very urbane Eric Holder way, vaguely amused, a hint of a smile on his face. Well, Senator, my people are over at the food table. You can always tell where my people are going to be. They go where the food is. And Holder, 
And and Strom Thurmond looks at him and pauses and grins and says, what's the matter with you? Don't you feed them? And then turns to the next person and goes, Merry Christmas, <laughs> Merry Christmas. And I'm standing there. I was like a 24-year-old reporter um, watching this and thinking, I've just seen something mega weird. Um, and <laughs> to, to this day, I've never asked Holder whether he has any memory of this. I suspect probably not because it it's a deeply unimportant <laughs> weird event. But um, just being asked whether you feed the AUSAs um, by Strom Thurmond. Um, Katie Benner, um, which all of which brings us to Matt Gates. Of course. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'd like to see I what you- I just wanna say, it says something about Strom Thurmond's, the man's legacy, that this is like, like number 75 of horrible things Strom Thurmond did. Oh. <laughs> or like, even this like, wasn't horrible, this was, Friendly, ba friendly banter with a weird edge because he's strong thermant. <laughs> that's actually yeah. called conversation in DC, like yeah. cocktail parties in DC. <laughs> All right, Matt Gates, what did we do to deserve ooh, this? Ooh, that's, is that a mala? Is that called mala brigio or whatever? It's so it's, pretty. Okay, I went downstairs and in my lobby. Someone had literally like there's three of these bags and they're all a hundred percent cashmere, Katie. Does somebody rob a yarn store? I don't know. <laughs> <Good job. laughs> and, and I was like, looked around, like I was like <laughs> I grabbed it all and like, like came back up. And I've been like mailing skeins. I'll send you one. Do you want okay. this one? I mean, you're fencing skeins alive i i don't think they're <laughs> stolen well we have no it's like stereo equipment i found all this stereo equipment in my <laughs> lobby and i grabbed it i'm mailing it out to my friends yeah i would love one absolutely but <laughs> <laughs> the thing is if the feds come and ask me about it i'm just not gonna lie that's the only thing i've learned from covering yeah, the doj just don't lie just don't lie seeing as how you've uh uh been solicited to take one on YouTube live, um, it's, 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 it would be about as provable a lie as say everything the president's friends got pardoned for. I was gonna say. So, you know. Matt Gates. Matt Gates, Florida I, man. I wanna know like what great sin the American people committed to deserve this set of stories about him. <laughs> it has, uh, you know, like I think that yeah, I was a financial reporter, and so I like um, documents, numbers, tables, graphs, P&L. Uh, I don't think I was prepared for Washington reporting in some ways, <laughs> and this is the most <laughs> this is the most extreme way in which I wasn't prepared for Washington reporting. Um, that uh, I, I I remember when Mike Schmidt actually first got the tip that Gates was under investigation. Um, at first, it was just you know, sort of vague. And then as it came into slightly clearer focus, as they say in the newspaper biz, as it came into clearer focus, I thought this is not, this is like, like this is gonna get, this is this reporting is not going to be savory. And it wasn't. Um, and so after we broke the initial story about the existence of the investigation, the, the next morning there was a, I got, I got a tip that was like, describing essentially kind of a sex ring. And I said to Mike and our editor, 
um, and a couple of the reporters, I was like, well, you know, when is when does a when does a sex ring allegation tip actually ever pan out to an actual sex ring? Like never. So you know, we're gonna have to keep casting our net. But we did not have to keep casting our net. But and it's twenty twenty one, baby, so. and anything is possible. <laughs> so I just want to say, like, if I were QAnon, this would you be are like QAnon. The, the ultimate vindication. <laughs> you have a child sex trafficking ring involving senior um, members, or not a senior member of Congress, but a prominent member of Congress. You have um, uh, um, uh, and then like you even have some sort of weird, I don't, I want to say vindication of crazed anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, but you have some things that uh, reality seems to be playing to stereotype. You have a guy named Greenberg who's a tax collector uh, and who's involved in child sex trafficking. That's, uh, it's gotta, and gotta be kind of catnip to a certain group of people. Um, how is the right, the far right, responding to this? So we haven't really seen a lot of response from That's my impression. the right. Uh, I think for a couple of reasons. The, on the media side, I think that Gates's initial appearance on Tucker Carlson really made it difficult for Fox News and other networks to um, support him because Tucker so obviously distanced himself from him by the end of that episode. And he, you know, it, it was an unusual interview in that Gates um, seemed to try to draw Tucker into whatever it was he was being investigated for, saying, you know, that wonderful woman I brought to dinner with your wife, and the FBI has been questioning her. Um, you know, for obvious reason, Tucker Carlson felt that that was not something he or his wife would want to be involved in. And, uh, you know, it showed that Gates was probably a little bit unpredictable as a guest, and that to have him on to talk about the case. But he didn't uh, get on the show. Yeah, I'm pretty unpredictable. <laughs> I've still never said, like, but... Unpredictable is like a cat is unpredictable. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, uh, like, 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 roving pipe bomb might be like a slightly better, like, kind of like way to think of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it felt like it felt like whoever had him on next was gonna, you know, be confronted with. Judge Janine, you remember that time you were at my house and all those women came out of the room? Like, you know, she nobody wants that, right? Like, no, nobody wanted to be in the Tucker position. So I think that actually made it um, tougher for people to have him on. I mean, I say that, but who knows? He might be on Fox tomorrow. Uh, and then I think from from the right, from politicians, they were waiting to see what was going to happen with Joel Greenberg, former Seminole County tax collector, uh, to Ben's point. Um, because he's obviously not just under investigation, he's been indicted multiple times now with a growing list of charges that's going to put him in jail for at least 12 years minimum. There's a mandatory minimum if he's found guilty on certain charges and, you know, decades and decades and decades if he's found guilty for everything and the books thrown at him, which it might be because he's been so cavalier about things like his bail. So people have been waiting to see what Greenberg was going to do to see how much they could support him, you know, and if Greenberg could continue to say, I maintain my innocence, this is all a scam, that leaves the door open for all sorts of people to come out and say, look at these innocent men being mistreated by the Justice Department. This is, you know, um, Russia all over again. 
but instead Greenberg um, and his lawyer, Greenberg's lawyers and the prosecutors indicated that they were trying to push toward a cooperation deal, um, a guilty plea and a cooperation deal. And, they, and my impression is that I haven't looked at the charge sheet against him, but my impression is that he doesn't really have a choice in this because if he doesn't get, I mean, the child porn ca- ch- charges have like a 15 year mandatory minimum, right? Yes. So Her charge if memory serves. Exactly. So the, the child porn is a 10 year mandatory minimum. 10 years. Sorry. Which is still, I mean, that's quite a bit of jail time. And, and you probably, if you're facing 10 years, and you think that you will be found guilty for that charge, you don't want more than 10 years. Well, and and these cases are, these uh, child porn possession cases are really easy to prove. They they almost never go to juries. Uh, In the sextortion research that I did a few years ago, I mean, the child porn cases, they just plead out because nobody can, you, you can't face multiple charges of that without spending the rest of your life in prison. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. And I was referring to child sex trafficking. That's the 10 year mandatory minimum. I see. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's the allegation in the, in the complaint uh, uh, among others, but that's the one that is incredibly serious. It's and child sex trafficking is a little bit different than human trafficking, um, human sex trafficking of, of adults in that with adults you actually have to prove force fraud or coercion so if without that you're just looking at just without that you're looking at prostitution which is a state crime so you need force fraud or coercion to be human to be sex trafficking but with child sex trafficking you don't need force fraud or coercion because these people are children you any exchange for anything of value you know god forbid somebody gave this woman a cheeseburger or a cigarette ecstasy which is some you know drugs are are um drugs or things of value anything of value if she didn't pay for a hotel room that's a thing of value so you see greenberg sort of staring down the barrel at that which is no good um and then you see interestingly if you look at the timeline he is charged with a variety of unsavory things child sex trafficking misusing government information, this weird fake ID scam where he's making fake IDs, but also stalking his political rival in the 2020 race, um, this guy who is a music teacher, and then creating a fake identity and sending a letter to this man's employer falsely claiming that he sexually molested a student. That's, an, you know, so like he, he's being accused of already very uh, sort of like outre, like bad behavior. He gets arrested, gets out on bail, and then the following things happen. This has all been reported. He's out on bail, and he does the following things. He immediately contacts one of the women with whom he's had a sexual relationship with and paid money to and has you know, an evening with her that ends with her getting into a car accident, you know, so that doesn't go well. He then defrauds the small business association of, um, from its COVID emergency lending program. That's in the superseding indictment that came out this year. And then he goes to his wife's mom's house to try to find her. She doesn't really want to see her husband at this point. He goes down in a rage, doesn't get what he wants, drives back home, burns all of her clothing in the backyard. So when you look at it, when, when you look at who this guy is. Um, You're thinking like a person that like, you know, I would definitely want doing my taxes. <laughs> <laughs> I would want in charge of any office, any records keeping office. Um, and so, you know, he he's in this situation where clearly if, if, I mean, if convicted, you can see a scenario in which the judge is like, 
I'm throwing the book at you. So it does right. feel like he's, he doesn't have a lot of choice but to cooperate. Okay, so assuming- wow, terrible. I did not realize all of that, Katie. That is like a real, yeah, it's a lot. We haven't even gotten, sorry, I wanted to say really quickly, Ben. We haven't even, I want to talk at some point about how this is the latest in weird Matt Gates stuff. And he was already a little bit weird and creepy. I mean, just besides looking like Butthead or Beavis, I can never remember which one. He's like, there I, that there was, he had a whole bunch of other really strange little things that well, were like, just curious. Yeah, I mean, he was always really open about the fact that he loved having a lot of different sexual partners. And I'm not going to judge. I mean, like, listen, I'm not no, here to, no, judge. I'm not here to judge people. But he also, you know, shared naked pictures of them. And he were the, you know, and he responded to fears of COVID um, during the pandemic by going onto the floor of the house wearing a gas mask to make a point about how ridiculous mask wearing was. Um, he was, I think, best known, though, as uh, former President Trump's big ally, sort of like an attack dog who would do and say anything to protect him. And he became this star in the House because of that, right? You know, because he was willing to say and do pretty outra outrageous things um, on behalf of the president. And so when you... Um, I wasn't thinking about his partners because I agree with you. There's like, whatever, that's like, whatever. As long as it's consenting adults, totally. it's like you know but the but the thing i will but i was actually very confused and like i i don't know not that it matters either because this is also his personal life but the story of his adult his adoption of a son oh, yes how did i forget Master? That, so this is that was so weird like i just it wasn't like it wasn't even like i was like there's nothing nefarious here i don't think it's just like this is just like I, this wasn't like it wasn't parsing for me there was never a point where i was like i understand what's happening yeah, and that was a that was and also the way that he made that announcement was another. It was like very inflammatory. You know, he's having a debate with somebody um, about race and on um, you know on the house floor, and he's and he's like, "Are you so sure you're the only uh, legislator here who has a child who is you know not white?" And of course, everybody in the room is like, "No, literally, he's the only person here who has a child who's not white." And then. <laughs> Um, and then Gates is like, because I too have a son who is not white. And that was a big, it was, it was a big shock to everybody in the room during the debate. And then it continued to sort of have these weird reverberations where it turned out that he had been dating a woman who, um, you know, he broke up with, but that he, uh, he chose to raise her younger brother who didn't speak any English. I think he was, you know, fact check me on this. I think he was 12. He might've been a little younger, a little older. Um, and older. he was, and he was going to teach him, you know, teach him English and, and help raise him. And he raised him as a son while his, he, you know, he and Nestor's older sister broke up. So yeah, I mean, there was a lot about Gates that was a little bit curious. He's sort of like, a wealthy guy. His dad was a big politician in Florida. He had, he could have had the, a really boring political family profile if he'd wanted to. And that is just not what he chose to do. Yeah. So Alice has a directly relevant question uh, to this part of the conversation. So I thought I would yank her out of order into the conversation. Alice? Yeah, hi. So it's um, a little bit dark, but I was wondering, I, first of all, I don't know how the age of consent in different states interacts with um, sort of the kind of payment or not payment 
but I also don't know how it interacts with the kind of interstate travel, which he's also running into. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. So this is a good question, because when we're looking at all the different statutes that could be applied to this investigation, age of consent um, generally is 18. I think in Alabama, it might be 17. But here in this case, it's 18. Uh, so with the one woman we know of who is younger, um, you know, allegedly when she's having sex with Greenberg and allegedly having sex with Gates and other people when she was 17, uh, that is a statutory rape is a state issue, but if she's given anything of value, so the way we, the federal, the, the way this becomes a federal crime, people talk about the interstate commerce piece of this. It, she actually doesn't necessarily have to leave the state of Florida if she is on an escort website and they're using online payments and meeting her online because that now satisfies a lot of the interstate commerce issues. So even if she didn't travel out of the state of Florida, there could still be a federal case there around sex, child sex trafficking because of the interstate commerce piece. And if she was given anything of value, so if she stayed in a hotel, if she, again, got a cheeseburger, whatever. So that's that. And then on, to your point about consenting adults, having sex as a consenting adult with money changing hands for specifically for that purpose, not just because like everybody was having such a fun weekend, um, which and that's tricky to prove because everyone's saying, you know, a lot of people are saying everyone's having fun. That's prostitution. That's a state crime. And it's sex, it's sex trafficking. If somebody is directing these women to have sex with other people under forced fraud or coercion, they might not even get paid money. If, right. But if, if one of the women involved, you know, in a hypothetical world, I don't want to use Gates or Greenberg's name, but say there's a guy involved in this whole group of dudes named, you know, Joe Smith. If Joe Smith says to, you know, Jane Doe, hey, I want you to have sex with, you know, Joel Greenberg. I know you don't want to, but you have to. That's force, you know, fraud or coercion. Coercion could also be, I know you're a, a heroin addict and you can have your next hit if you have sex with, you know, so-and-so that's coercive. Um, but if everyone's just having a good time and money's changing hands, that's a state crime of prostitution. So um, the generic answer to uh, uh, Alice's question, <clears throat> um, take a look at 18 USC 1591, which is the sex trafficking of children um, and section, the, the relevant language is in uh, section a one and two, it's whoever knowingly uh, in affecting interstate or foreign commerce. So that's can include travel or stuff, or as Katie rightly says, uh, um, can include, uh, you know, in interaction with a website or that sort of thing. Um, recruits, entices, harbors, transports, provides, obtains, advertises, maintains, patronizes, or solicits by any means a person, or two, benefits financially or by receiving anything of value from participation in a venture who has engaged in an act described in violation of paragraph one. So if you're doing paragraph one, or ben knowingly benefiting by it, knowing that the person has not obtained the age of 18, 
years and will be caused to engage in a commercial sex act, shall be punished, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the way it interacts with age of consent laws is that it doesn't. Um, if you're under 18 for purposes of federal law, uh, you are covered by that statute, whether or not the sex would be legal in, in the relevant state. Yes. Come for the knitting, stay for the explanation of US criminal code. <laughs> or, or vice versa. <laughs> um, um, so here's my question. What do we actually know about Matt Gates's conduct? We know a fair bit about Greenberg's alleged conduct. Mm -hmm. We know um, that he's in a world of hurt and may have to cooperate. But what does that? But what do we actually know about what Matt Gates did or is alleged to have done? Right. So we, you know, we know that Gates is saying that he never had sex with anybody when they were seventeen. I think we should put in his full denial. Never had sex with anybody when they were seventeen, and he was older than seventeen. Um, was not he that he himself never met any women who he had sex with on uh, this website seeking arrangement that was being used by. Joel Greenberg, um, and that he's done nothing wrong. We know that the FBI has been told a variety of things, including that he indeed had sex with the woman in question while she was underage. Um, <clears throat> also, the investigators have been told that he met women through Greenberg. So Greenberg was using the website, but then it was Gates who was meeting them. Now, both the New York Times and the Daily Beast have seen actual and reported on actual receipts. Um, and, and this is an interesting thing. Like I'm, I am not a psychologist and I can't speak to anybody's state of mind. I can't really you know, opine on like the kind of people they are. But if I thought I was doing something wrong um, and I could be caught, these are important things. If you can do things wrong and not think you're gonna be caught. If I thought I was doing something wrong and thought I could be caught, I would not use Apple Pay, the receipts that we saw or Venmo, the receipts the Daily Beast saw, to send money to literally anybody, even if I said, oh, it's for some, it's for, it's for Hanukkah or whatever. I would not, I would not, I would not play with that system. And yet those are receipts that we've seen. So we know that payments were made by both Greenberg and Gates to various women and one directly from, at least one directly from Gates to a woman. You know, and he can say that it's not for sex, but we know that that the payments went out. And, you know, we know that he is, uh, and we know, finally, we know that there's a conversation that took place that the FBI has been made aware of about some of the sort of political chicanery that was happening during the election during the Florida State Senate race, which involved ghost candidates. So a ghost candidate is when somebody's basically paid to pop up in an election at the 11th hour to act as a spoiler to siphon away votes from one of the candidates. Um, there's somebody who's been arrested for that in Miami. And, you know, there, there was, you know, some investigative work being done to see if there was any sort of, um, if Gates was involved in anything like that. Now, that's, this is an interesting sort of media question. I'd be happy to hear from everybody in the audience on this too. So as reporters, when we report these things, we know what the investigators are looking at. We kind of understand the questions they're asking. We know who they're current witnesses are for, to some extent. It is easy for readers to then draw the conclusion like this is of course what people are going to get nailed for down the road. And that is one of these things that I 
I'm like, I know that I'm doing my job and reporting the story that this is what's happening, but you don't have to look very far back in history, <clears throat> Roger Stone, to find cases where everybody thought Roger Stone was going to get in trouble for getting information from Julian Assange for helping the Russians and for being part of a big um, uh, hack slash like information sharing campaign. He was never found guilty of any of those things, even though the government clearly put him in one of their Russia indictments, like he was definitely the unnamed individual. At the end of the day, he only got only, at the end of the day, he ultimately was charged with witness tampering and with lying. So, you know, I, I think that we do need to recognize that there's a good chance that as long as Matt Gates doesn't do anything crazy, like as long as he's not out there screaming at women, like, you know, like in that scene at the end of, oh God, what's, that's the movie where he's like, Karen, Karen, what'd you do with the gun? Like, anyway, as long as he's not doing stuff like that. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the movie though. Um, Ray, Ray Liotta. Anyway, um, as long as he, you know, isn't like telling women not to talk to the FBI, as long as he's not telling women what to say, as long as he's not, um, you know, <sighs> obstructing the investigation, he, he could come out of this with no charges. So that is certainly right. Most criminal conduct goes unprosecuted. Most criminal conduct that is investigated goes unprosecuted. And, um, and there's it is, the Menendez case that did go prosecuted, but Menendez was ultimately, he won. Yes. The, the one thing I would say about that is Gates is acting like somebody who expects to be indicted. And... Uh, Say more about that, Ben. Yeah, like, like what? Is, like, like this man has, has never like, I, like to Katie's point exactly. Like, why? Like, why is he acting like he's going to be indicted? He didn't even act like he was going to get caught. Like, he didn't even seem to understand that what he was doing was wrong. And I, I honestly maybe think I think that that is the actual explanation for like the Venmo thing, for example. Like, I just don't think I think that maybe he kind of knew but thought it was okay. Just doesn't understand stuff. Might be really not that bright. Well, the the not that bright standard is certainly if that is exculpatory, he's certainly innocent as a lamb. But um, the uh, I don't look. I think that when somebody rushes to the camera to tell a at least somewhat fantastical story about a, a somewhat fantastical counter narrative. Uh, in this case involving a um, alleged extortion attempt by a former Justice Department official, um, when, when he um, uh, 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 engages in the sort of erratic response that uh, Gates had, imputing that he's feeling heat, I don't think is a, yeah, I don't want to say it's a non-rebuttable presumption, but it certainly was my reaction to the Tucker interview was, wow, this guy thinks he's about to get indicted. Huh. Um, and I, I do I, I do think he's got a lot of anxiety about something. Um, yeah. Um, yes, it's good. I was thinking about the movie Goodfellas. That is correct. Um, at the end when everything's falling apart and they're dumping cocaine into the toilet. That is exactly the scene I was thinking about. And as long as that doesn't happen, I mean, I think, and again, Roger Stone's such a weird case because like- <laughs> Is Roger Stone a weird case? 
I hope so. I, mean, yes. I, I, ho- I hope people aren't like threatening he, witnesses' he, dogs. Yeah, on the he regular. went after Bianca the dog. I know. Um, she's and Bian- she's a very nice dog. Um, Daniel, the floor is yours. Speaking of very nice dogs, do we have a Gergi? Hi, yeah, Gergi. So I have, I guess, a question slightly off topic, but it's related to Gates. If we're to make a pantheon of slimeball politicians that are possibly criminal, whose pictures does Gates go next to? But what do you, but what what (laughs) axis do we mean that along? Yeah, I don't know what he means. Like, do they have to be like, I mean, I don't actually, I'm like, I, I mean, like, we're talking, like, Teapot Dome. I mean, how far back do we want to yeah, go? Yeah, I don't know. And I'm, like, thinking, like, like Anthony Weiner, like, it got weird. It was weird. First, it was weird and creepy. And then it got criminal real fast. And it's not funny anymore, obviously. It wasn't, like, really funny to begin with. But it was certainly not. It was. It certainly was not at the by the end. Like, people's lives were totally ruined. And so, like, I just think that there's, I don't know. I don't know that I want to, like, go ranking like a, like a ranking harms in like kind of in the in some of these categories. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a weird Wiener's not a bad comparison though, just because like I know crime is so gross and heinous. People generally don't want to think about it. Um, and also, I you know, I I, I yeah, I, it's hard to, especially if any of the politicians are are living and currently serving. Uh, in office, it is not. It's not something I would be able to really speak about. I'd have to go back to Teapot Dome do or you to have, continue to be <laughs> a journalist. Do, do you have? Um, I mean, w- when you map it onto prior cases, um, there are a bunch of cases where you know politicians have been involved in indiscretions, sexual indiscretions of one sort or another that have turned criminal mm-hmm. um, for one reason or another. Uh, there are, I'm trying to think of prominent politicians who've had underage uh, children, uh, sex scandals. That's many fewer. That was Alabama, you- yeah. Right, although that one it, that one didn't turn criminal, right? Right. Um, uh, I do think the combination of underage, underage, uh, uh, child sex allegations and a criminal investigation is pretty unusual, at least in the modern history of Congress, right? Yeah, it is unusual, and I think that you know it's the the allegations are unusual; they're unsavory. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why people have been paying so much attention. Because if you think, if you know, you step back, like like Matt Gates, he's he is a relatively new um, member of the House. He, while he was famous for defending Trump and for you know his appearances, his gajillion appearances on TV, he wasn't known for you know, any legislative measures for being a part, a strong part of any caucus or really having any actual influence in DC itself. And so when you think about it that way, it's almost, it's sort of like why people are paying so much attention to Marjorie Taylor Greene. It's only because she represents some, like such a, a, an extreme point of view. And this is sort of an extreme investigation, right? You know, it's, it's, it's a, 
it goes beyond what we're what we're used to even here in DC when it comes to you know allegations of sexual misconduct. Can I ask a question? I'm interested in both of you. I mean, and also Katie, you don't have to answer because um, it might involve some of your reporting, and I don't want you to have to like tip your hand about anything. But do we think that like Trump and Trump's people are still talking to Gates? Do we think that like, I mean, we know Tucker Carlson has distanced himself, at least publicly and Fox News, but like, do we know that like, do you think so something that you said, Ben made me think of this, which was that, that he went on and he acted like he was being indicted. And I wonder if it seemed like such a Trump move to be so like kind of out of the box, kind of um, def like, um, on the offensive. And so I wonder if Trump told him to do it. Well, we know that Trump declined to meet with him, right? Do we? I didn't hear that. That's the, well, or declined to meet with him publicly. I missed that. Sorry. I, I'm not sure I'm right, though. I don't know. And, you know, I think the interesting thing about Trump world that we saw in 2020, at the end of 2020, especially, is that eventually Trump will meet with anybody if he really <laughs> wants to. I mean, I don't think... I mean, I, I don't. I don't think that being accused of child sex trafficking is necessarily a disqualifying thing when it comes to like, do I get to meet with Donald Trump? So I, I, you know, I actually don't know if they're meeting, but I think that if Trump thought it was advantageous for him or good for him or amusing for him, do you think that there's anything that Matt Gates has to offer him though? Like, I guess that's also part of my question. Do you mm. think that there is anything like? I mean, certainly I, I I agree with you. It's not like 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 Donald Trump has never been motivated by fear of of being tainted by other by by his associates. Um, so it's certainly not going to be defensive. But does he have anything to gain? Yeah, I mean, I think if he thought that Gates was going to come out of this fine, which he absolutely could, and that he'd be a strong surrogate for him, either if he were to run again or if he would be like a good surrogate for him slash attack dog if he tries to be a kingmaker in 2022 for the house mm -hmm. um because gates is an incredibly safe district like i don't i think even if gates were indicted for child sex trafficking he could win that election i, I mean he's straight in a up buddy siancy shit <laughs> yeah i mean oh yeah 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 i remember learning that he had a daughter named nancy yancy yancy and that is like the crate like that is such a interesting name to say anyway so um wait buddy Sianzi does or mac or i think or, it's buddy it's his daughter i do remember that it's like nancy 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 yeah <laughs> it's like it's a lot um i'm sure she's a very nice person though and i'm not making fun of her name i'm just saying it is a difficult no it's just name. kind of an interesting it is an it is a unique name it's unique so but, the big blue blogger has a question but ooh. i can't get him on screen so he writes uh what ethical considerations pertain to reporting on an ongoing investigation in which the main figure of public interest in this case gates has not yet been charged with a crime um and let me just add to it particularly when the subject of the investigation is something as salacious as child sex trafficking and therefore attracts everybody's disgust and schadenfreude. Yes, this is a question that I ask myself a lot. And I think it's a question that reporters, I'm guessing were asking themselves when they started in 2016 and 17, early 2017, reporting on the investigation into Donald Trump and his campaign. Like it is, 
it is a fact that the investigation is ongoing. It is a fact that the payments were made to women. You know, so it's it's putting together the pieces. We, um, I I think that for me, I do feel that it is a newsworthy thing because it gives voters, readers, and the public an insight into um, the this elected official. And it, I also, I also believe strongly that this could end with no charges against him, but it's also still a window into a person and a lifestyle that led to even this sort of speculation. But the is interesting this, moral is, question though is about the girl. Like note, yes, no reporters, 100%. no reporters have named her. No reporters have put in any descriptive detail about her. Even some of the other women involved, reporters have been very careful not to. And I think that is where the moral question comes in because I would bet that there are reporters out there who have figured out her identity. And there was a oh, reason yes. why nobody is identifying these women. You know, and so there, there are more obviously moral questions and choices that are happening in editing all the time. But I think when it comes to an investigation into a public figure of, of, who's like this already this public, it, it, I, I feel like it does um, hit a bar, hit the bar. But is there is there any like heightened bar to put something in the paper? Like if this were, I don't know, a bank fraud investigation um, that, you know, in bank fraud investigation, Gates case, you're, you're careful, you would make sure you dot your I's and cross your T's, you're imputing criminal conduct or reporting on an investigation of criminal conduct, but it's not child sex trafficking. And and is there any heightened standard that you or the paper uses in cases where the uh, stuff is particularly lurid? So not mentioning the girl's name is a really interesting example of it. But I suspect there are others that are kind of prudential. Yeah, I mean, I think with allegations is serious, we want to... Um make sure that we're really confident in our reporting. This is not a case where we're like, we're pretty sure. Um, we need to be very confident in our reporting. And then also there's almost a bar for who, cause we're a national publication and this is going to end up involving a string of Florida figures. And do they need to be blown up in the New York times? You know, I, I think that that is probably the answer is no. And I think that, however, like the Orlando Sentinel and other local papers, these are, figures who actually who are more prominent in their day-to-day -day coverage and so if they are writing about them i think that's different and i think that's great but for us we have to we it's we would say no i just really want to say this reminds me of a couple of like cases that i teach that i'm sure you're aware of but what an interesting thing this is to hear from like from a press perspective and i think it is a very i think it's a very new phenomenon um time v hill is a was a supreme court case in which um a, a family was uh kidnapped i think in their own home for like 19 hours and then released it was this incredibly horrible ordeal all kinds of terrible things happened and time magazine insisted on reporting it because it was newsworthy and it was even though it was private individuals and naming them and talking about it uh and then it went on to become a famous i think a play but maybe i'm like um uh anyways there have just been the Supreme Court has just really very deeply defended um, the public's right to know in information regarding um, victims 
of crimes, um, even though they're involuntarily kind of, in, even though they're involuntary public figures that they have said that they, and so it's really interesting. I think that there's, I think that this is such a thoughtful approach to have in this modern age of kind of like, well, you know, we are a national publication and we'd be blowing something up in a huge way or a person up in a huge way, you know, for what is essentially like maybe a local, a matter of local right. concern. And so th these are, but these are ideas that the, the court, because of the First Amendment, has really very much declined to weigh in on and defer to the press. And so I guess I have to say that it's kind of, it's interesting to hear the press making those types of considerations and being thoughtful about it. Richard, the floor is yours. Hi. Um, this sort of dovetails with some of the things you were saying earlier about uh, Gates's future electability. Um, and I'm just curious, what are we hearing from uh, as far as the reactions within his district, uh, especially from people who were strong Trump supporters? Um, you know, are we seeing a someone suggested an analogy with Roy Moore that maybe we're seeing a, a similar situation here? Yeah, I think that within his district, people still really strongly support him. Um, I believe it was the Orlando Sentinel, who's done an amazing job, by the way. A great job just reporting on Joel Greenberg. Like Joel Green, there. If you want to know about Joel Greenberg, subscribe to the Orlando Sentinel because they have some insane stories about the man. But um, I, I think that his district continues to back him really strongly, really strongly. Tony Kava, you get the last question this evening. Well, excellent. Even That's though great. you're not uh, wearing a dog shirt, for, I'm wearing my. Uh, my Mary Berry shirt, uh, Jenny Hauser inspired Mary Berry shirt, scrummy. Excellent. So anywho, yes, well, yeah. So um, Katie, you answered part of my question in your answers to Daniel and David. So I'll edit that part out, but the part that remains, I'm gonna read to you. Um, I do remember when likability was a desired, if not a prerequisite trait of political candidates. Yes. And with people like Trump, Cuomo and Gates, that no longer seems to be the case. Uh, I'm wondering how we got to the point where the intensely disliked find election politics viable career. Mm. And I'm wondering how does someone like Gates survive in Congress without friends? And as the Germans might say, a face one would like to punch. I'm not going to weigh on on Gates's face. I just feel like that's not my expertise. Um, and I'll answer backwards. And then how does he continue to survive in Congress? He's on the Judiciary Committee, curiously enough. He's not going to be removed from that committee, I think, unless he's indicted. You know, his, his biggest backer is Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan's the ranking member. So he continues to survive by being on a pretty influential committee. You know, so he still has access to information. He still has some, some juice. And that will exist. And then on the question of likability, it's funny, it's not just likability, it's like morality. Remember, um, who was it who was caught with a woman sitting on his lap and he couldn't be president anymore? Gary Hart? Remember that? It's like, oh, well, he was going to be president, but then there was a photograph of a lady sitting on his lap and that was highly disqualifying. Well, oh, um, those days are gone. But I, I like the likability question I find really fascinating because I've been talking to different friends about this. First of all, I think that in their own way, Gates, Cuomo, and Trump are extremely well-liked. They're very likable to the people who like them. And I think that what we are finding is there 
like the bar has kind of hit the ground in terms of how low are people willing to go to fight and to win, just in general in politics, which is what one of the things that allows somebody like a Cuomo or a Gates to be really likable to people, like behavior that we would have once thought kind of as a public and as a group, as a, as a nation to be like, we have lowered the standard in so many ways. And I think that one of the struggles we're seeing right now within the Republican party, and there's like a Democrat version of this too, but definitely for Republicans, it's like, can we raise those standards back again? And can we raise them? And if so, like, can we bring the constituents along where we have like a baseline set of behaviors we no longer think are okay? Like, can we get back to that point? For Democrats, it's almost like, can we get back to, a, you know, they have, they have sort of like a similar set of consider, of different sort of, but you know, where we can, can we raise the standard and I'm I'm gonna get I'm gonna get canceled for saying no, but like, can we like um, put aside something like immediately um, uh, casting out and shunning people to create like a purity standard? Is there another way to have like a group conversation about what's acceptable to us that 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 is like more flexible, right? I mean, I think that kind of might be the Democrat version. I don't know. Like, talk to Jill Lepore or something. But like, so this conversation is happening and it's really important and i think that people like cuomo and gates are like the flashpoints of that right it's like okay well they are a, they are a recognition that our standards are like on the ground now and we don't know how to raise them and the reasons why they fell not to be too pomo about all this are really good reasons you know in like the 80s and 90s when we were like okay we can't live in this ultra structured world anymore we have to allow for certain things we have to allow for you know like Divorce, we have to allow for homosexuality. We have to allow for, like, we can't live in this like ultra controlled universe anymore. So we have to get rid of some of the scaffolding and we have to get rid of some of the shame around some of these behaviors that like actually happened for good reason. And then it's like, okay, well now what happened? You know, like, like things have changed so, so much. What do we introduce as like new standards for behavior that are reasonable that we can all agree to after having gone through like long discussions about how you know, we were all being hemmed in unfairly. And that was so reductive. And so I'm sorry, but that's just- sort No, of like it wasn't reductive. Picture. I think that was lovely. I think that that's, I think I'm your, I think this is a, I think this is very correct. I think that we had to create, I mean, I'll in slightly to put it in legal terms. I think that there was, you said scaffolding, but I'd say formalism. I think that there was kind of like these, like these and structuralism that there were the, and institutionalism around things that kind of like glossed everything over. So it was like nice and like pretty. Uh, and that we're, I mean, like I just put, but, um, I try, keep trying to put it in the chat, but it's not going in for some reason. But the case I was thinking is the 19, to your point exactly, Katie, the 1989 case um, involving freedom of the press is Florida Star versus BJF, which was a woman who was robbed and sexually assaulted. And the Florida Star, and like the Florida Star um, reported her name, her full name, and she claimed protection under the shield law and the Supreme Court struck down the shield law um, under like, mm. and said that she was a public figure because it was truthful reporting of information that was a matter of public record. And so there was just nothing that there was anything. And so what we have is like, wow, so that's where we are. We're going to do that to an individual. And what I guess what I was saying is like, I think that what your conversation about the conversations that are happening in your newsroom and about national and local is like all about like, what constitutes a public figure anymore? Yeah. And what constitutes, you know, kind of some of these ideas. And so I think it's a brilliant point. And it's going to be the last point because it is 7.02. Katie has knitting to do. 
Uh, Kate has skeins of yarn to mail all over. No, the I'm having. If anyone wants to, I'm 7:30. I'm hosting an hour and a half long conversation with my former Second Circuit judge, Judge Richard Wesley, uh, or he's he's like I'm formerly his clerk. He's still on the bench. I'm um, about technology in the courts and how things have gone in the pandemic and how how all of the. He has not had a lawyer turn into a cat, but he has had cats come on a screen while lawyers are making oral argument. And it is, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a really fun conversation. So there's links in my Twitter if people are interested. We will be back 22 hours, no, 21 hours and 57 minutes from now. Kate, who's our guest tomorrow? We don't have a guest yet for tomorrow. I thought it was Jillian York. Oh, no, she didn't confirm. Over, oh. over, over, yes, but soon. It may or may not be Jillian York. Yeah. We'll figure that out. Katie I like Benner. The, you did FBI versus CIA, and I want, I kind of wanted a bonus, <gasps> bonus material of just all of the accents, the FBI accents. That <laughs> oh, man. I thought, like, when I made that point, I thought it was so obvious, and people so respond, true. people responded to me like, really? And it's like, when you go into the FBI building, <laughs> It is like the Justice Department building. It's right across the street. The Justice Department building is a bunch of, you know, think lawyers like Kate only without the uh, fun eccentricities, but like super educated. They would be law professors, um, you know, if they weren't doing this or they'd be senior lawyers at Arnold and Porter or something. And then you walk across the street and go into the yeah. FBI building and there are Boston Irish accents, and there are Italian New Watch Jersey the accents. Oh my and God. It is, I, I mean, it is like a, it is. Yeah, a, if the departed and Goodfellas had a baby. And yeah. we might oh. finally be able to arrest Matt Gates and then maybe indict him. <laughs> like, I don't they, let's put it this way they don't sound like Pete Struck, okay? Yeah, I know. That's it's true. just like, like, Pete is an unusual uh <laughs> Why they had to marry a management. They're like, you got to go with the management. <laughs> yeah, you got to. <laughs> We're going to leave it there. We will be back tomorrow. Katie Benner, you're a great American. Uh, we will be back at our regular time tomorrow. And until then, Kate. We don't have fun anymore. But if you get unmarked envelopes of yarn in the mail, you just. You do it. You do what you got to do, Katie. You, you and you do not lie about it. If the FBI shows up and says, "Where'd you get it? it?" You don't protect Kate. You just say, "Clonic uh, found said she found yeah, a bunch can... of yarn and asked me if I wanted a skein, uh, and so I took one. And look, if it was illegally obtained, I did not have the appropriate mens rea to uh, uh, qualify for any crime." See you tomorrow.